the idea of just having one for each is that I w- still wanted each print to be unique. It's yeah. it, it's going to it's I wanted it to be special for a person to receive a print from the harvest and know that there will never exist any other like this one. Hi everyone, it's Sam, NFT Statistics, and today we have Per Christian Stovland on the podcast. Per is a designer and artist based in Norway, and his recent Artblocks project, The Harvest, completely took over Artblocks. It did more volume in its first six months than the prior six curated projects did over their entire lifetime, and the floor for The Harvest got as high as 10 Ethereum, or $15,000. We discuss how he brought a science fiction narrative to his work of art, Yet still the piece resonated not just with science fiction lovers, but with people who love landscape and color and seeing how it all blends together. He also describes himself as an introvert, yet has still managed to build a huge following, interact with this collector base, and really build in public. I thought that was really interesting, as so many of the artists I talked to describe themselves as introverts as well, trying to make it in this world of NFTs. I hope you enjoy this conversation and learn from it. I find him a great person to talk to. Hey, Christian Stovland, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. It's an honor. So I'm curious, you know, the your work has such a, I know there's a science fiction kind of idea behind the narrative, but, you know, it really also really resonates with people who just like the mountains, like color. I feel like it hits for a lot of people. What, what, was, your, what was your goal with the work uh, when you were creating it? Well, that's a good question. I think the, the goal probably evolved over time. It started off as a kind of a, just testing out some ideas while I was working on just some few techniques. Uh, the idea of the beams coming from uh, from the sky and kind of uh, extracting resources from the landscape uh, just popped in quite, just popped in. And uh, I started evolving that or iterating over that. And then at some point I started to see the kind of the big picture of the collection and what that what would that symbolize? And then the story started evolving out of that. And I think a lot of the story kept on getting informed by the narrative of its building. So it was, I don't think there was a goal from the start, but kind of the, the, the end goal probably, I got arrived at the end goal probably halfway through the process, I guess. I think uh, that would be the best, my best guess. What, what does the harvest mean? The harvest, it's, the harvest is an, event that happens every uh, cycle of some you know unimaginable part of time this is kind of a, a story about an entity that is has some kind of immortality but has to sustain it in some way and the harvest is kind of the the awakening or the, the start of its life cycle until it probably has to repeat this again for next millennia the yes, harvest yeah, is it's, it's yeah so these beams coming from the sky, that's kind of in this science fiction world, that is a harvest that happens every, it's like a cyclical process that happens every yes. so often. Yes. This, this entity needs kind of to sustain itself and it has to kind of um, kickstart the whole process again by keeping these worlds alive. We don't know if in this story there's how antagonistic this relations, the relationship between the caretaker and these planets are. Maybe that will come in some kind of future work. Uh, but so I, I plan on building on this story um, and fleshing out the universe because that's kind of um, 
one of the things I find uh, very rewarding to do through kind of just telling stories to each other. Um, I, I get very fascinated by what kind of ideas people can come up with to connect a story together and in more like a, from a technical point of view, how do you create a story? And yeah, this was, this kind of just meshed into that part of me um, without any plan actually, but it just merged and uh, the harvest were kind of the results. So, so for people who don't know anything about science fiction, anything about your, the worlds you've created, can you just take a li- take us a little bit through the narrative that you sure. see behind this work? Like, who is the caretaker? What are the worlds? What's the what's the very basic story for people who uh, who aren't too familiar? So, the the caretaker is an ancient entity which is a bit vague. We don't know yeah. what kind of physical form it has, but it has some kind of uh, dominance over a large um, army of of drones that uh, he uses as his tools to replenish kind of the symbiosis he lives in with, or it lives in, with uh, a select uh, a select set of planets uh, in, the, in the universe we live in. And it has been in a slumber for a very long time. It now has awoken and sent out its minions to gather its strength for the times to come. And the harvest is pro- the the harvest is the name of the event where he sends out these minions to gather resources because that's he always needs to do that. I'm not sure if that covered it. Covers it okay. Uh, yeah. So one thing I'm kind of curious about. So so you when you when you came into this project, you had such a you have a narrative. You have a a world that you know you're creating and putting into this artwork. Whereas someone like me, I live in the mountains. I really like color. And I was like, I like this. This, this is something I can put on my wall as someone who lives in a ski town, you know, and, and likes the way the color meshes with a mountain landscape. Hey, were, were you surprised with the way that your audience interacted with your work and experienced your work? Well, I, to be honest, I, was, I, I, I can resonate a lot with what you just said. I also live in, I've seen some of the pictures you've put out on Twitter. It's quite similar to my backyard. So... Um, I can see the, thing, the the connection between you know landscape and the colors and how that, from a, an aesthetic point of view, uh, it's it, it can it in my view it carry itself in some way. I think the story. Um, sorry, I forgot the question again. Oh, I was just saying, does the way that people experienced your work, right. you know, yeah, like right, said, right. did that surprise you once people started to, to? So I I think one of my biggest uh, I think one of the things I was kind of most nervous about before kind of releasing because it was actually the, the narrative because for me it's very natural to kind of build a story around but you know some people can sound I don't know weird I, I, I had no idea how people would react because uh, I personally haven't seen much of that kind of combination you know you have an artwork but you're adding more to the artwork by telling a story um, so I was really positively, uh, surprised by seeing that there were a lot of people that resonated with that. And I kind of guess that there are probably a lot more sci-fi fans out there than I actually thought, because, um, probably something to do with my social fear. Of, I don't know, but I feel quite, uh, alone when it comes to sci-fi, uh, sci-fi enthusiasm. Fair enough. Yeah. I can see where there'd be a concern only in the sense that like, 
everyone experiences art in their own way and you don't want to narrow people into one thing. But I think with this piece, I imagine people took what they wanted from it and maybe you just pulled additional people in who uh, have that sci-fi connection. But uh, yeah, and, I, yeah, was that your experience talking to collectors or? Well, I, I think the experience, and this is totally subjective, but I, I have a feeling that there's a lot of people that were in it for the art, but a lot of people that kind of have a passion for sci-fi, but maybe don't talk too much about it. It was kind of, um, I felt there was a lot of people kind of, you know, admitting that they were also sci-fi fans, um, which I don't know, maybe everybody is, but there were, I, I got the impression there was a lot of people that didn't think of including that as part of kind of art. I don't know, but um, yeah, I got the impression there were people who, um, who kind of got um, got um, you know inspired by the the sci-fi part? So they and we had a lot of discussions about sci-fi, what they liked. It was it's been kind of like an icebreaker with a lot of collectors uh, to start the conversation off. So in some ways, yeah, it's been kind of um, it's been surprising how much that has been pos positive for the the artwork. I was very afraid that that might not vibe too much with other people. Yeah. So, so I'm one of those people who has never followed sci-fi and I really know nothing <laughs> about it. Are, are there aspects of the, I know that some of the traits have sci-fi connections. Are there, are there sci-fi kind of stories or narratives that you find more people picking up on than others? No, there's no, I think it's more the atmosphere. There's no specific thing. I think the only things that are references to anything specific would be the, the palette names. So there hasn't mm. been, much discussion other than kind of what's around those pilot names though. It's it kind of, I was hoping that people that had the, the same feeling to these references that I have could kind of, uh, it's a place where we can connect because they're, yeah, those references are quite dear to me in my childhood, if you see what I mean. Yeah. Is, is there a, is there a pilot name or a pilot that's your absolute favorite? I, are you talking about the color wise or name wise? <laughs> uh, either or. I would say, I mean, it's hard for me to choose one because there's been a lot of, um, there are a lot of palettes. I've had my, I've had my love phase with each of them. I've had my hate phase with, with each of them and kind of, and it, it, it kind of, I switch between them sometimes, but I would say that the, the one that's most prominent is probably the one that's been with me the most, the, the Serenity palette. Um, and, uh. Yeah, let me see. I also, I'm also very uh, Nostromo. The the black and white one is also one of my my favorites. Yeah. I think, I think Nostromo, which is the uh, the name of the spaceship in um, the first Alien movie from the eighties, yeah, uh, late eighties. That that one. Uh, that's probably one of the sci-fi films that were most defining of my enthusiasm for sci-fi in my teens. So I think uh, for me, it was very fitting to call that palette for Nostromo. Got it. Yeah. And the Serenity one is just such a wonderful like mix of color that kind of, it, it just has such a joyous feel and it, it's welcome added. I really, I really love that one, but also I've seen a lot of your biggest sales have been this Nostromo palette as well. Yeah. Yeah. I want to talk a lot more about the harvest and all this stuff, sure. but, I, but for, I do want to also first just kind of get a chance to hear a little bit about your background and kind yeah. of what brought you, you know, 
a little bit about your background. What kind of brought you here to NFTs? When did you start in art? And uh, what kind of what was your journey to where you are now? Well, I think I, it's probably natural to start with. I have you know traditional graphic design education in print, and uh, in the start in the two thousands, um, I got more technical and heard about Flash, uh, which is a software piece of software that existed at that time before you know real HTML and JavaScript could kind of make immersive uh, web experiences. So that got me into kind of programming in a very easy, you know, easy for designers to do. But that triggered some kind of um, interest for kind of logic, which I, my, my father is a civil engineer and it's probably some genes from there. But I got really into this logic, which coding was. And over kind of a career of uh, 10 to 15 years, to refine my understanding of programming and was a self-taught, you know, full-time programmer for the design and ad agencies. And at one point I stopped at, stopped with that uh, and wanted to do something a bit more rewarding and um, started a, an alternative design studio, which kind of works in the intersection of at um, architecture design, uh, technology and um, art. And uh, where we want to try and make physical experiences, uh, we bring the digital world into the physical world. Um, I think the, the easiest would be to go on our website at void.as and just see some some videos there. It's it's easier to explain what we do there. Uh, the point is is that Void got me back into the you know generative art part of me, which I had back in the flash days, and didn't I didn't spend much time with that. But you know, starting up Void, having to all projects are kind of based on create, being animated and created by just tweaking variables and receiving uh, data in real time and reacting to that. And uh, a couple of years ago, one of my partners at Void uh, had a had a, a release on Artblocks. You know, the, the heydays of the summer 2021, which then opened my eyes to what NFTs were, how kind of the blockchain worked, how generative art is. Uh, a very natural way to to um, to is, generate art is very natural, lives naturally on the blockchain. So I learned about that, and uh, just at that point, I uh, thought that I did this before. I can still do it. I'm doing it in Void. I want to do it for myself. And what I felt first thing I realized when starting up again was that uh, there was some kind of uh, meditative rest of mindfulness about sitting there alone with my computer and JavaScript and nothing else and just creating something that looked nice to, to look at. Whilst in, in Void, I'm technically responsible for everything that we produce. So I have to make sure that all hardware works well, the software works well, and uh, it can be a permanent. Most of our installations are permanent, so we have to make sure that there's a life that it can live. Yeah, there's a lot of technical things to do and a lot of things that has to rely on other things. So NFTs and this practice here has become like a, a safe space for me uh, lately, uh, which has been very rewarding. Yeah, I imagine it's a place where, you know, where it, when you're doing these installations for Void, you know, you're working with so many people, so many different variables here, you just, it's all you, you're reporting it's to just nobody. Me. Yeah. yeah. Um, and and what... That, uh, how do you how do you split your time right now between Void as well and NFTs? Well, at the moment, uh, you see, so this has been kind of my uh, after work project for myself uh, up until um, the harvest kind of 
exploded. For, uh, I, I did not in- anticipate that reaction. So at the moment, I'm I'm in the middle of a process of finding uh, a new structure of of how my my days are going to be. At the moment now, I've I I have uh, one day for some artist praxis for myself because there are a lot of responsibilities in Void which I just can't uh, can't drop. So. Um, at the moment, uh, last month has been quite hectic with the kind of juggling both, but I'm working on kind of finding a, a, a nice in-between where I can do both because um, uh, Void has been my kind of, um, has been my child for eight years now together with a couple of others that, and it's very part, much part of my identity as an, as an artist. And... Um, so at the moment, there's a, a combination that I need to kind of find a, a good balance between, but um, the plan is to keep on doing both. One thing I saw you say in an interview was that you said your, your coding used to be disorganized and suboptimal back in the day. I'm, I'm, that, that kind of intrigued me. I'm curious, what, how, how has it improved over time? What do, you think, what do you think have been the changes in the way that you, in the way that you code? I think there's a... I think with the, the years that's passed, uh, uh, I've gotten a much larger overview. I think when I started programming, kind of just from scratch, you know, teaching myself, there was a lot of things that I didn't know was what was good, bad, uh, you know, bad practice, what was good practice. There was a lot of testing and trying and realizing down the lane that when I programmed something like this, which was probably the only way I thought it could be programmed, I'm kind of locking myself out of doing other stuff in the same code. And I think uh, over the years, I got more overview. I've been into several different languages. Um, I've been into, you know, Python, PHP, uh, JavaScript, Java processing, and, you know, with C++ and Open Frameworks. So getting, I think, that experience from a broad range of programming languages kind of has helped me get, get an understanding of how technical things work together. Yeah. And realizing how they work together, when you know how things will most likely work together, you're much, you're much better equipped to plan the coding structure from the start. So to answer your question, I think experience is probably what has changed it over time. Yeah. Seeing kind of all the, basically I had to do all the mistakes that you don't learn at school or you learn at school, but I had to learn kind of the hard way and then kind of. Yeah, taught myself to be a clean coder over time. One of the things that's amazed me being in this space, like when I went to when I went to university, uh, there were they, they called some people techies and some people fuzzies. There's this idea that you have kind of like the literate, artistic types, and then you have the more engineering paced people. And yeah. generative art is just person after person who is phenomenal at both. Uh, it's almost like you know just tremendously creative and beauty oriented and then also just fantastic at the discipline of, of, of coding and engineering, w- which one of those for you came first? And do you think that this kind of blend is, is more common than I perceived before getting in here? I think, yeah, well, that's a good question. I think uh, to start off where I am first though, I think, oh, that's hard to answer because I've been, so before so I, uh, I grew up actually in, in Africa and went to Montessori school there because my parents thought that it would be better that and then going to a Norwegian expat school. But I think there's a lot of kind of artist, artistic way of viewing your tasks, which is kind of the Montessori philosophy. 
um, has probably kind of primed me first. And so when I came back to Norway and then went to start going to school here, uh, I was deep into music. So, and I remember that image was kind of what I was thinking most about. Not the others can think about the music. I'll think about our image kind of. So I've always been, I've always been, um, caught up in aesthetics in some way. Um, so for me, it's, I think it started there because then I wanted to go design school, but I, I would say when I look back, I am actually more of a technical person looking back, but I didn't realize it at that point until I kind of saw code and just realized that, you know, this is vibing with me. You're just seeing how it, kind of how pieces fit together in a very logical way it was really rewarding. And I had luckily come in from the design perspective because then I kind of had a feed in both worlds, which has kind of helped me to where I am now. It, go, going back a little bit to, to the, the world of NFTs, what was uh, what was it like for you? I'm curious, kind of, because I imagine you're not surrounded by NFT people that much. What, I mean, what was it like when you you released the harvest, and you know, a few days later, people are buying and selling your NFTs for fifteen thousand dollars? What's that experience like as an artist, as someone who's new to this space, and probably would would have struggled before to sell a piece for anywhere in that ballpark in a different environment? Uh, oh, that's a hard question. I there's I think the reality of it has probably not finished sun sinking in, but I think the first couple of days was just uh I was just in disbelief that people would appreciate something I did like that. There was also a big pinch of, you know, stress for kind of being responsible for don't talk by it for that much. I mean, what if it doesn't what if it tanks? Yeah, I didn't want that responsibility. So it was a mix of different feelings. I've come to terms with uh, a lot of it, I think, but I would say I spent a lot of my time just going around shaking my head because it was hard to fathom what, what had happened, to be honest. Yeah. I, what's, what's the general view in Norway of NFTs? I, I don't know if there's a big community there. What's, uh, well, is, actually, it, we, are, we are a small community here in uh, Norway because, I mean, there's, uh, there's a couple of guys like Kjetil Gule from, you know, Archetype and yeah, of course. And uh, Maurice Watts, there's Andreas Rau, Epic uh, a bunch more other people. We we see if we can kind of meet up uh, every once in a while. Um, but I, other than that, there's there's also a small NFT gallery here in Oslo, which there's a little community around. But other than that, it's mostly in the metaverse. Yeah. So people yeah. are kind of connecting there through in Norway, but through. Um, through kind of the traditional way of doing it. When, when you talk about how you're, you're almost like, I kind of identify with that idea of like, stop, don't buy that. I think for me, there's nothing that makes me more anxious than people losing money. Um, so sometimes when these things start taking a life of their own and become these collectibles, I can, I can see where that, that might be stressful. Yeah. How, how have you come to terms with just the idea of the market's going to do what it's going to do? Well, it's, I, th yeah, there's, I mean, I think time has, has been part of it and uh, kind of just, uh, getting the feel from the community, I, I feel a lot of responsibility to kind of um, keep kind of keeping the harvest relevant. And by that, I mean that I'm not stopping doing uh, doing my practice. I want to keep on. I mean, this has opened a door. Um, this has opened a new, totally new door for me on what is possible for me to do with my career. And uh, it has been extremely rewarding getting the feedback and 
So even there's a there's a lot of kind of uh, there was a lot of negative feelings in the form of stress and anxiety, but it's also I also realize how privileged privileged I am to have that experience. If you see what I mean. So it's um, sorry. I I think we drifted off from the question again. No, but I think you answered it. I think you. Yeah, I mean, okay. it, it was kind of a. It, I don't know if it was the most fair question. It's just something I personally struggle with when I think about these things. So hearing you you mention that, I could identify. Yeah, with yeah, that. yeah, yeah. Right, right. But I do think some like when the the kind of feeling of wow, like th this is taking off more than expected. Some sometimes that's also I think just pe just what's going on with NFTs and yeah. people being surprised that any NFTs are selling for what they are and that there's a lot of money in the ecosystem um, and that people pay prices that are really substantial for this stuff. As, as someone who's, as you've entered as an artist, what, what, what have you learned about this community and about the way the NFT market works and have, has, has anything surprised you? Well, I think, I think what has kind of probably surprised me most is um, I haven't been very interested in economics and didn't have quite that understanding for how economics works. But I have to say that's probably one of the, that's probably one of the things I've learned most about is how economics works, how kind of uh, demand and um, supply works. Uh, it's been, it's, it's very, it's like a kind of a microcosmos of an economy and you can see that everything moving in high speed. Um, that's probably been very, that's been very interesting for me. I'm very interested in kind of learning how things in the world works. And economics has, for me, been kind of probably one of the driest uh, kind of subjects you can, you can get into. But I've become much more interested in economics after seeing kind of the, the NFT market and applying that knowledge to understand economics in the real world or not, not in real world, but in, you know, fiat money. Which is again has helped me in understanding kind of global politics, or I I've, I I think it's very interesting, you know, following what happens internationally also, and kind of applying patterns everywhere. Yeah, it is kind of wild to watch these little like microcosms of the economy in your how many is it like four hundred piece set, and the way demand rises and then suddenly disappears, and the momentum yeah. behind it, and the just how it appears on Twitter. I, I find that always. Yeah, like when I step away and look at other markets, I do find like maybe learning from these JPEGs has actually taught me a lot about how a lot of these different things all work together. Yeah. yeah. Were there, um, were there, oh, oh, sorry. One of the things I think like when it comes to, when it comes to how artists can kind of maintain their attention and their brand over time is, you know, Derek, who, who I do some podcasts with, always talks we talk about building in public, um, being yeah. in public and you know, that works for some people and it doesn't for others. But I have noticed that from you kind of tweeting about individual pieces, what you thought of them, what, what, what's been generally your strategy to keep your community engaged uh, and advice you might give to other generative artists? Well, that was kind of, uh, you know, the, probably one of the first things I kind of had to kind of figure out when I started my, my Instagram account is how, how should I do this? I come from the ad and design agencies or industry, sorry, which I have, I've learned a couple of things and it's one thing I've learned is just, you know, always work on staying relevant and the way I, and for me, I'm an introvert. Social media is not my thing actually. 
but I realized quite quickly how important that is if I am to, you know, um, create NFTs, uh, mint them and, and sell them. Uh, so, um, sorry, I lost my train of thought there. We were on, um, oh, you're just talking about your strategy for, you said you're an introvert, yeah, you're talking yeah. about your strategy so, for. So what I started off doing is just when I created something I liked, I just posted it and just kept on doing that. So when I, um, I, I was alone, I did a lot of projects on FX hash about a year ago, around an, a time, you know, a couple of months, which I, um, I learned again, um, what I did there was kind of post my work in progress. It was, for me, it was kind of, um, just to get it out there, get it out of my system that I have shown it to people and seeing the response in some way to see if, because once one thing is very hard for me, at least is to decide if something I like it, but I don't know if it's going to be liked. And, uh, so in many ways, Instagram became, and the Twitter uh, became kind of the arena where I could test, um, you know, test my ideas, see how it was. So for a very long time, that was basically, I need to make sure I have something to post every other day. Just, I was very kind of methodic on that. So I was, when I was working on a algorithm, I could just set off an evening and thought, okay, this evening here, I'm going to create uh, so and so many uh, outputs of this algorithm, because I think it's at a point where I can start showing something. I select out a few, which I like best, and then I have content for a week, basically. That's kind of the strategy I had. Um, I'm still working on what I'm going to do in uh, in the future now because the position I have uh, kind of uh, come into now has, I need to kind of manage this in the best way possible is my thought. So I'm, I'm kind of taking a step back, uh, you know, recalibrating. I have to keep void in mind to see how my strategy is going to be further. Um, but I can say as much that I'm working on a new project now. Um, it's not uh, at the size of the harvest, but um, at some point in a month or two or three, there'll probably um, be something new for me. Great. And it, is that also going to be a generative piece? Uh, it, yeah, I would always, uh, I think everything I would make is generated from some generative algorithm, but uh, it's, it's not, uh, it's not going to be a, a series which is minted with, um, it is going to be one of ones in that case, is what mm. I'm saying. Yeah. Okay. Um, so generative artwork, each of them will be its own unique piece, different in the, because right now I see Harvest, yeah, I guess it's part of a big group, but you, so you're saying just like one of what, only one output per, per algorithm? Yeah, and they're, uh, and, but they're really, um, are going to talk too much about it, but there will be more than one in a series, kind of. And uh, it, it. it is kind of a satellite project for Harvest. So it's going to kind of build on to the story of the Harvest. Do you feel like this story, like, have you just continued to create it in your head and feel like you have all these different outputs you would like to do if you had all the time in the world? Well, yes, that's, so that's also some part of my, or very background from my, uh, from my teens is that I was an avid, uh, you know, tabletop role-playing game um, player. Dungeons and Dragons, you know, Cold Cthulhu, the, the works. So a lot of my storytelling enthusiasm comes from that. And one of the things you get really good, really trained at become when, you're, when you are the dungeon master or the kind of the storyteller of the game, um, you get extremely good at thinking out, 
you know, story plots kind of in, in some kind of improvisa improvisational way, which has trained me to often see possible solutions. If I see somebody do an action, I can think, what would be a logical reason for a person to do an, uh, this action, you know, these kind of things. So as soon as I started on the harvest and got the idea of the beams, the story started by me thinking, where did these beams come from? Who is it? I want. I wanted to build something that is kind of awe-inspiring, which is also, a, a, you know, a storyteller technique. I find very intriguing is that if you're vague enough, the listener can build a lot of them, a lot of the story by themselves. Also, but you have to be uh, kind of distinct enough that they can follow your path. If you see what I mean. Yeah. So. The harvest is in some ways a bit intentionally vague because I know I want to build onto it. And in kind of the role-playing game uh, kind of, um, uh, you know, way of thinking, maybe there's a lot of, I get a lot of ideas by the reaction from the collectors of this series. You see what I mean? Yeah. Have there been reactions that have just been very surprising to you? Like things that you did not expect at all? Oh... No, I don't. I can't say that anything has popped up. Um, well, one reaction was that I think it was less than you know, six hours or so. Somebody had already listed all the references to all the palettes um, after I after it got got released. But um, yeah, I don't. Yeah, that's probably the best story I can come up with right now. It, it is pretty wild how invested people get, right? You know, people put their money into something, they feel this real connection. And just, I think that's something artists often don't realize is just how much people are on their team at some level yeah, and, and really feel kind of invested in, in, in the work in, in a way that maybe isn't as normal where you don't have such a real time market and people right. investing so much. Yeah. Two, th two things you said, there are two things you said I want to follow up on. One of them is you said, you, you said you're an introvert and, you know, working in public can be difficult or that's your personality. And, and once I, I tweeted about how, you know, the space is, is, is making room for people who are good community builders online. And a couple of people responded, that's not for me. I'm, I'm an introvert. Like I'm an artist, but I'm an introvert. That's really hard for me. What, what kind of advice would you give to other artists entering the space who see themselves as introverts, uh, but still feel like this is a place they want to be? Well, I think the best advice would probably be to, uh, I think that, you know, the worst judge of your work is yourself. And be be kind to yourself is probably my best uh, advice. Uh, everybody you're seeing doing the same thing as you are experiencing these exact same feelings themselves. So what I experienced a lot of, especially in the FX Hash community, was there was so much supportiveness between everybody. Not There's no, um, I mean, there's always, there's no competition in, in the way. There was no kind of pulling people down. It was building people up. Uh, and I think for an introvert, though, I, I, you, just, um, you just need to force yourself to push it out. That's, that's what I kind of had to do. I've had a very, uh, my girlfriend is very supportive and uh, probably my best critic. And there's a lot of stuff that wouldn't have been, you guys wouldn't have seen if it wasn't for her telling me that you should push, push it out. Because, yeah, again, you're have always you the worst other critic. Have you found other artists in the art community? You mentioned a few Norwegian artists, uh, but also just through being online, who you've kind of worked worked with and provided feedback for, and who you've seen as reliable uh, oh, yeah. advisors. It's, 
Definitely. There's, uh, there, there's, I mean, there's a lot of people I've been uh, in contact with and still am though. And there's, uh, there's always been some kind of, you know, help here and there. We, um, uh, kind of, uh, we look at each other's work and get, get feedback over different, different, uh, channels. So yeah, definitely. There's a lot of, uh, I feel, you know, artists kind of are supportive of this, each other is my impression. Especially yeah. with the people I've been meeting. Yeah. And what was that jump like from F how, how is the FX hash community hash community different from the art blocks community going from Tez to, to ETH? Like what, yeah, what, what, what's that transition been like? Well, it's, it's, um, oh, the transition has been, um, interesting. I mean, there's, you know, I started on the Tez community basically because they, the, they kind of getting into crypto art was much easier. I mean, there the wasn't, you didn't have to invest that much to get into it. I mean, uh, Ethereum for me at, at some point was, it was just too much for me to get into and too much of a risk to put money in because I'd never been into crypto at that point. Um, so for some way, Tezos feels very like at home because uh, it's, it's been my safe haven because whatever happens, uh, I, haven't, I haven't put my life savings into it to make this work. But through working on Tezos, it has kind of built up uh, enough. Uh, my, my projects have, have sold well enough that I could have a, um, a base for me to kind of jump over to Ethereum. And I, but it, working on Ethereum feels a bit more serious to me, uh, as it's just probably a subjective view, but it, it feels much more serious because um, for me, I haven't been there before and there was kind of a little barrier for me to get in there. So. And it's been a very exciting uh, jump over to Ethereum. Um, yeah. How, how's your relationship with collectors different? Is there is there a difference in, ter in that term from, from Tezos to ETH? I've, there's definitely a lot more of, you know, the big collectors, which kind of was uh, for from two months ago was kind of like a dream being collected by one of them. So uh, that's kind of the biggest difference, I would guess. Everything's much more serious now. Yeah. Um, the, so I said there were two things you said that, that I wanted to follow up on. The second thing was uh, you mentioned that there are some of your palettes that you've had like love-hate relationships with. And I, I'm, I always wonder that with an artist, I guess a generative artist, there are two, in two ways. One, once it's out there, it's out there, you know, yeah. your, your work and you can't do anything to change it. Yeah. And then two, you don't know what the outputs are going to look like. And then you see the outputs. And I'm, I'm curious, to, I guess these are two separate questions. So let's just start with the first one. Are there things now that you that that you ever thought, oh, I'd like to change that, or uh, there's something about this about the way it came out that 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 I feel like I could do differently, or that I or even that you just love so much and are amazed that you put together? I I am very happy with the results, and but I, I I'll I'll be as honest to say that there's that but that goes for everything I've made in my life is basically when I look back at it, there's always something I could have done better. Um, but looking at it now, I don't have any regrets you know, taking away or putting something uh, back in there. Um, the second part of the question was, um, I, I was going to ask, are, were there specific outputs that like just completely surprised you where you were like, eh, it's not supposed to do that. No. Well, there are, um, there are some, there's one, yeah, there are a couple of those outputs with just single beams, but I think, um, what was I going to say about the outputs? They, 
There was it, kind I of, just... yeah, there was one, uh, there was at some point a, a small bug that popped up every so slightly each every 500 outputs, right? A bug is that for me serious enough. And I remember I had to track that so, I had to track that for probably months to find out that bug because it, I couldn't recreate it and it just happened very, very rarely. So after a lot of iterations and a lot of work over a couple of months, I thought, I think, I still think I have isolated that bug. But the problem with, it's kind of like you can't, you can't prove, um, you can't prove a negative. So I don't know if that bug has been fixed or that I've done enough adjustments that, that the, this probability of that bug popping up is so minuscule that it never popped up. That's well, what kind was of one bug? fun fact. We all it, want to it, know, what was the bug? It, um, it, it had something to do with that. Um, and the problem is I can't, I can't explain it, um, what the bug was doing. But what I can explain is the, the visual result. At some points, you just saw that the front part of the landscape was just cut off. It just stopped. Okay. Got it. One that, uh, before yeah. we talked, I really started going through all these different attributes and I was trying to understand what each of these meant, support drones, reach, you know, and I had a really hard time knowing what each of them meant. Yeah. When, when, when you look at your work, are there any, are there any of these attributes that you find the most interesting or that, that you think if someone who understands what's happening uh, on the screen here should, should really understand? I think what you could do, say is that the, um, I think the harvester feature uh is probably one of the most defining that one in the minor indicates that it's just one a squadron is uh, is two to five an array is kind of spread out but in a kind of uh, some kind of structural form you have the barge which is just you know a large big one got it and okay, then you yeah, have that and then yeah, you have drones, drones which are just basically just strewn out over there's no organizing in the way they are and then you can also, all these harvesters can have support drones to come with you, which are also just kind of just sprinkled extra beams around. Got it. So, so yeah. Yeah, okay. So each of these define kind of the different shape and area, the different way that all the beams come down. And the, yeah. some of them were quite easy to understand. But then as I was looking at a, a few of these, I just felt like it was, uh, there was something yeah. going on there that I wasn't sure of, but it, it did seem like it was, yeah. uh, but there's also pretty interesting see, since. Since a lot of regenerative art is just parameters you're adjusting, when you're kind of creating um, feature category groups, you have to kind of set a uh, you have to set a point where it's inside a group and when it's outside, right? And then maybe the next group, which is so if you have small and medium and large, but in reality you're going from the smallest of the small to the largest of the large in a gradient, and at some point you have decided that. If you come over that value, you're into that category. If you're under that value, you're into that category. My point is that even though you have two categories that seem very different, they could end up in some way of looking quite similar because they're very close to each other inside the window of the category they belong to, if that makes sense. Yeah. So I think Harvest has, uh, has some of those uh, traits, if you will, that you have a lot of, uh, there's some, there's some works that are a bit hard to distinguish if it's one or the other because of that. Um, 
I think other uh, other features would be the um, would be the topography, <clears throat> and if it's and the feature if it's in a valley or a um, or a uh, ridge, that's more about the landscape how it's uh, put together. The valleys kind of have a more over overview and down. Were, were you at all surprised by what the market seemed to value? Like, it feels like a lot of the single colors have gotten a lot of value, a lot of the dark backgrounds. Is, is that something that you anticipated or was it just kind of anybody's guess when you launched? I was actually a bit surprised that the dark ones got that valued. Uh, I personally liked, well, it's, it's hard. My, my favorites always change over time. But I personally, at the point when I realized that the, the, uh, the dark ones were the most popular ones, I was at a point where the light ones were my favorite, <laughs> and that I yes. also get I also get uh, kind of uh, influenced by what the collectors are saying. So I also see why the black, the dark ones are more popular or have a higher value. At least they're a bit more rare, right? Yeah, they are definitely. And and have you started uh, started collecting NFTs yourself? Oh yeah, definitely. I've been an avid Tezos collector because of. Uh, because the, it's so easy to get into NFTs on the Tezos blockchain. So uh, there, I, have uh-huh. a, I have a big collection there. And uh, I think the first day after uh, I sold the harvest, I went on a spree and bought a lot of art on ETH uh, that I have been kind of uh, just looking at since I started NFTs. Kind of the, I bought a few of the NFTs that came out in the time I started NFTs. And I was kind of, wow, those, that, that looks awesome. So I'm kind like of... What? Uh, for example, the apparitions of Iron Pan, uh, Meridian. I bought one of those, which is probably one of the, my favorite ones. Um, and uh, oh, I can't remember now. I put my own spot there. <laughs> That's okay. Let me just. I'll see my collection here. I can. I can uh, link. Do I have a chat here? Yeah, there we go. Oh no, I can't. Oh, I chat no. Uh, throw it on Twitter. Yeah. I am always curious, you know, when artists who my guess, I don't know, but when, when you get such a windfall, like if one of these things does well and it sells out and then you have the royalties coming in and obviously that's a different story, but you know, when you, when you get off that ETH, <laughs> what's that first thing you do? So it's cool. It's cool to hear that you went and bought, went and bought more, more NFTs and uh, supported other artists once you got that. Yeah. Uh, that, that was uh, the, most definitely I had to do that. So now I found it. I mean, Ben Kovac's edifice and Litom St. Pedersen's screen. There's a lot of art blocks works that I bought. And uh, I remember uh, the Eccentrics by Radix, which was, I was blown away by when I saw that for the first time. I just had to kind of get these because I, I wanted to, I could finally have, I could afford buying them. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. yeah. One, one final question to wrap up. I'm curious, having kind of been through what you've been through now, having launched an incredibly successful project. What do you, uh, what do you like when, when you're looking at, at art from an investor standpoint, you know, obviously there's a piece of liking the art, but then also for, from an investor standpoint, what, what do you look for in the, in the work that you're thinking about buying? First of all, I have to be very honest and say that when I buy art, I, I don't look it's for me, I put it in the, that's money I'm not getting back category. So uh. when I buy it, it's to own it. So I'm not sure I'm the correct person to ask. 
because the few times when I started out with NFTs, I started out with uh, I you know put some money into ETH to see if I could get into the you know the uh, you know at that time it was it was really the heydays you know 2021 everybody made money on F- NFTs, uh, but uh, my uh, I know from my, my financial wits they were not good at all. So I, I lost all that because I bought a bought into projects I had no idea what was I had no idea what was doing. So I'm not sure if I, I can actually come with a good uh, investment tip on what I look for if I want to keep money. What I probably would do if I was forced to, you know, put money in hopes of getting back would be probably the you know big artists. Uh, but then again, I'm very colored by which artist I respect and the art they make. So yeah. For me, it's hard to kind of decouple um, what I buy with. Yeah, I would say if I'm buying something, I I have trained myself to acknowledge that that is not money I'm getting back. Maybe I am, but that's not. I'm. Well, I think that's a great. I think that's a great approach. You know, I guess I. You know, I think just a of not having any expectations and b buying the work you love. You know. That that feels like as good a strategy as anyone can have. You know, yeah, rule number yeah. one: only invest money you're willing to lose. Rule number two: only buy projects that you actually love and feel connection to. Uh, exactly. That feels like a very good approach to it. I guess I was more coming at it from the you have kind of had this experience of learning what works and what doesn't. Yeah. You know, but it, the fact that you're still thinking about this just in terms of art and that connection, I think, is as is as good a way to approach it as possible. Yeah, I've, I've never. I'm very risk averse, so I've never been into kind of putting, relying enough on my uh, kind of foresight to, to put money in something to get money back. So, yeah, I st- I learned very quickly that okay, I've lost this money now. When I buy something, that's money I'm not getting back. I just want the art. Yeah, no, that feels that feels like it makes sense. And I I would think there's a little like that feels a little Scandinavian too. Like I live in the <laughs> Netherlands, like a, a bit of a conservative approach. And yeah, you, you know, which which does make me wonder if the people you're surrounded by, you know, your family, people in average, just think this NFT thing is crazy. Are, are there oh, like, definitely. Is it like is, definitely what's their uh, approach to it? Yeah, and no, I think there's a lot of. Uh, for two years ago, when I started this, I think people. Um, yeah, people were kind of, oh, okay, cool, you have some place to put your art, but I, nobody paid attention. But uh, uh, the harvest and kind of watching me over the shoulder, and a couple of friends of mine have started with NFTs now. So I think that kind of, uh, the harvest has at least for some of the people around me and made them understand that there's, it can be quite serious if you, if, if you want it to. What do you think is the biggest misunderstanding? There is, I, I, I get the impression there's a lot of people talking about the scamming part of NFTs, which uh-huh. makes it much harder to, to let people know that there's a lot more than just scamming, if you know what I mean. That's probably the yeah. hardest thing, I would say. For sure. Yeah. And, and I did have one other question. I said the last question, but I always have no Yeah, yeah sure. And that is, that is the, you know, I'm curious about the prints. Uh, I know that you you decided that you would allow collectors to get a print. You decided that you would charge money for the prints, which makes sense of course. And I'm I'm so I'm curious, how did you how did what do you think that was the right decision? What made you decide to go with the physical prints? I own one piece. I've not got the print yet, but I do plan to get it. Um, yeah. cuz I think it's going to look great in a mountain house <laughs> like where we live. But uh yeah, what was your is that something you advise other artists? You're kind of curious how that how that went for you. 
I think for me it was, so I come, like I said earlier, it was, I come from the design perspective, uh, and it was, you know, traditional print and stuff like that. So I felt that, so when I started off at NFTs doing the projects I did on FX Hatch, I knew that the next project I'm going to make is a project I want to print because I want to kind of, there's something about getting the physical thing that is more like an, I think when I saw the first print, um, it was kind of, yes, now I feel like an artist kind of, you see what I mean? There's something about having the print. So I knew that I wanted to do that. And the model, getting to that model was a lot of, I was discussing with a lot of different artists on the way to go. I was thinking about, you know, giving it for free. Um, but I was warned very quickly about that because giving it for free meant a lot of work and it's very easy to order something if it's free. So maybe everybody would have ordered and are probably swamped with, with time consuming work because creating these, um, high resolution, um, creating these high resolution image files that needs to be created for the print, it takes, it takes probably an hour per print if I'm quick. So wow. that made me get into the point where uh, also making sure I had enough to cover any damages and stuff like that. I found together with my print people uh, the, the best kind of rates I could go for. And uh, so that's kind of how I get, got to that point. And the idea of just having one for each is that I w still wanted each print to be unique. It's, yeah. it, it's going to, it's, I wanted it to be special for a person to receive a print from the harvest and know that there will never exist any other like this one. Cool. Yeah. I, I, uh, it kind of gives a nod to the uniqueness of NFTs as well. And yeah. I think that's, uh, it sounds like a, a, a great way to go about it. Cool. Well, well, thank, thank you. you very much for coming on. Um, you know, congratulations. I think just the success that you've had has been inspiring for so many people. Uh, and just seeing, yeah. And the work is truly beautiful. You know, just a, a I, I track every much. art blocks launch and this one really, I think has captured people's imaginations in a way that very few have for a very long time. So, uh, congratulations Jason. on that and, uh, look forward oh, to I'm watching uh, you. your career progress. Thank you very much. It's been an honor. It's been fun. And, uh, thank you for the opportunity. All right. That is it for this episode. Thanks so much for tuning in. If you would like to help us out, head on over to proof.xyz and click on the reviews button at the very top and leave us a five-star review. Thanks so much. Take care.